a seat. Hey, good morning. My name is Dylan. Uh, if you're new here at the branch, uh, we're so excited that you're here. Uh, we're going through uh, the book of Hebrews, and we'll get there in a few minutes. I know we just prayed, uh, but I want to pray again. Uh, it always helps me to just pray and talk with the Lord for a few minutes, or not a few minutes, but for a moment before we uh, get into the sermon. So with that being said, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for this time that we're able to come together to worship you. Lord, we ask that you help us to see and understand what your word says as we get into Hebrews this morning. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things that we have seen over the past couple of weeks as far as Christ being the high priest, Christ being the greater sacrifice and all these different things. Lord, help us to understand these truths. Help us to understand how they apply to our lives. And I pray, Father, that you will stir our affections for you this morning, that we will come to know you and love you more uh, through through reading this text and through coming to a better understanding of it. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so Hebrews. So we're going to get to Hebrews in a few minutes. You can go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 9 uh, if you want. Uh, we'll get there uh, in a moment. Um, so, But before we do, I want to uh, ask you a question. Can you, oh, let me get cut off test. There we go. Okay. Uh, we're good. Um, I want to ask you a question. So in this room, we have a wide array of educational experiences. So we have high school, college, graduate school, doctorate, all these different kinds of things. We have trade school and other kinds of courses that many of us have taken at different points in time. Uh, so in your experiences there with, um, with whatever it may be, have any of you ever had to read a book or read some sort of uh, you know, work of literature, and then have to write a summary of that book. If you have, raise your hand. Okay, good. Pretty much the whole room. Uh, so when you did that, right, you had to read something, you had to understand what it said, and then you had to take some time to write a shorter version of what happened that your own understanding uh, of what that book or what that work, you know, meant and what was said. Um, and so in doing so, it helps us do essentially two things. The first is it helps us to process the information that we've learned uh, and writing it down. And so it helps us understand better. It also helps us uh, if later down the road, we want to re remind ourselves, you know, what was that book about? What was that class about? Whatever the case may be, we can pull out our summary uh, and read it and then remind ourselves of a lot of the things that we learned in it. And so I bring all of this. Another example uh, that I don't want to pass over is if uh, for all the members in the room, you've written your testimony uh, at some point and turned it in. Um, so if you've ever done that, whether you remember or not, uh, you're writing your testimony is really important uh, from the standpoint that you're taking what God has done in your life uh, over the course of your life and you are essentially summarizing uh, it and focusing on key points in writing your testimony, right? Uh, which is a really important thing for us to do. The reason I bring all this up this morning is our passage in Hebrews is essentially a summary of what's already been said. So the author of Hebrews is essentially bringing together a lot of these truths that we're going to get into in a moment uh, together into one uh, succinct uh, passage here. So a lot of what we're going to see today are all things that we've you know, been hearing up the past couple weeks, uh, but it's going to hopefully help us uh, to bring it all together and reinforce our understanding uh, of these truths. And so, again, if there's not a lot new happening here this morning, that's why, uh, but hopefully it will help us again understand what is happening in this text. And so with that being said, if you're, if you're already there at Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to read in verse 11. We're going to go through 11 uh, through 22. And it says this, 
But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where, for where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death since, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that Christ commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins." So what we're going to see this morning as we start to unpack this more, uh, essentially the main point of this sermon, of this text, is Christ, our great high priest, offered himself as our perfect sacrifice in our place to secure an eternal redemption for his people by shedding his perfect blood and in doing so mediated a new and better covenant. Now, a lot more simple way of saying that is we're going to go through three points this morning for the sermon, and uh, this will hopefully be a lot more uh, simple to write down if you're taking notes or if you're trying to process. So I'm going to go ahead and give those to you now. Hopefully this will be easier to understand. Uh, point one is Christ is the greater high priest. So Christ is the greater high priest. Two, Christ is the greater sacrifice. And three, Christ is the mediator of the new and greater covenant. So we're going to unpack those uh, as we move along. So the first point, Christ is the greater high priest. Let us look again at verse 11 and 12, and we're going to unpack this and see, and see what's going on here. So in verse 11 it says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. An important thing to note is the first word in verse 11 is but. Anytime you see the word but, therefore, however, uh, so that, anything, anything in that nature, any sort of transition type word uh, in that way, we need to pay attention to it because uh, the, the author is making some sort of argument or something is happening there. So we need to understand what's happening before, uh, before that word and then after as well. And so in this case, we have, uh, but when Christ appeared. So what happened before? Well, last week Gabe preached uh, on Hebrews 9, 1 through 10. And we saw a lot of the old uh, sacrificial system, the old uh, covenant and the way of worship. We saw the tabernacle, we saw a video, the way everything was set up in the tabernacle, the uh, different uh, furniture and different things that were in there uh, and all that kind of stuff. So we saw the old, the old way of doing it that is vanishing away. 
right? It's going away, and then now we see, again, the summary of what's happening, but we see the good things that are coming with the word, but when Christ appeared. So he appeared as a great high priest. Christ, again, making the transition, the, under the old covenant, the, uh, the high priest had to go into uh, right, the, the tabernacle, like we saw with the video, the, different, the two different rooms, the holy place and then the most holy place, which they did once a year, okay? So that's what they did. Christ, on the other hand, entered into a tent not made with hands. He entered into the true tent, the one true tent in heaven that the tabernacle, the tabernacle was modeled after, okay? So we see this greater separation that Christ is the greater high priest. He is not on the same level by any means of the old high priest under the old covenant. Another important distinction that we see is when the high priest in the Old Testament had to go in, when they went in to uh, the most holy place, they had to cleanse themselves. They had to make a sacrifice. That's what we're seeing here uh, in, verse, in verse 11. They had to make a sacrifice. They were having to go through a, a very specific process to make sure they are ceremonially clean, which we'll get, we'll get into that more in a moment. Uh, but they had to be ceremonially clean to enter and go through this whole rigorous process to make sure that they were in the right spot before the Lord to go in and do, and to do that. Christ, on the other hand, as our great high priest, was already clean. He didn't have to do all of that. He was perfect. He was perfectly clean. And he went into the tent that is uh, greater, that is above us. So the earthly high priest would symbolically atone for sins, which we've talked about uh, for multiple weeks now. The earthly high priest would symbolically atone for sins until the one true high priest, Jesus Christ, would go into the true tent in heaven by shedding his blood on the cross, dying for our sins, and being resurrected on the third day. Christ accomplished what the Old Testament, the Old Covenant law could not, what the Old Testament high priest could not ever do, even though they continually, once a year, went in to make sacrifices on the Day of Atonement. It could not atone for our sins, but Christ did as our great high priest. Those sacrifices foreshadowed the one true sacrifice Christ made. And we're going to get into that more in a minute. But it's important to note that it is finished, it is complete. Christ's sacrifice is complete, it is finished, it is done. There will not be another. And so in making that transition, so Christ is the greater high priest. Number two, Christ is the greater sacrifice. So let's pick it up in verse 13. It says, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? One of the things we've talked about a lot uh, recently is the five sacrifices in Leviticus, the five primary sacrifices that Israel made when they came to worship God. And so we've, you know, we've gone and talked about those a whole bunch. Uh, but in this case, I want to briefly, just briefly point to that fact that, that they had the five sacrifices that were taking place. Uh, they were all animals of different varieties of different sorts, depending on uh, what it was they were doing. Um, but in doing so, again, those could not atone for your sins. The blood of bulls and goats cannot and will not atone for sin. It's also important to note here that as we saw last week, as we've been seeing again, that in Exodus, the last 15 chapters of Exodus 
is all of God giving Israel instruction on how to build the tabernacle. Again, we saw that last week, right? The, all the different dimensions and the specificity that was there. Uh, but in doing so, God was instructing them, this is where you're going to worship. When you worship, you are coming to this place, coming to this tabernacle to do so. Then we get into Leviticus right after Exodus, and then we learned this is how you're going, this is how you're going to worship. So we have where you're going to worship, and then we have how you're going to worship. And we've, we've gone uh, over that over and over again. Um, the next part of that, so understanding the Old Testament worship, right, and this with the sacrifices taking place. We mentioned earlier you have to be ceremonially clean. Notice the words uh, in 13 and 14. You have purification and you have purify. Okay, so those are important words that we need to understand. Um, when... When you read Leviticus, you have a lot of ceremonial laws, okay? So those laws are dealing with being ceremonially clean. Now, this is something that we don't have in the New Covenant. This isn't uh, applicable to us under the New Covenant. But uh, what that essentially meant was they had to follow a lot of strict rules in that they had to be ceremonially clean to come worship, right? So they had a physical location to worship. They had specific rules and regulations on how they're gonna worship. And part of that was you had to follow uh, the ceremonial laws to be clean, to come and bring your sacrifice into the tabernacle or into the temple later to, to worship. Does that make sense? It would be like for us, right? Before coming here, you would have to make sure that you are clean before walking in the door to come worship, right? So it's different in a lot of ways. I probably shouldn't have used that example because uh, there's a lot of uh, holes there. So just erase that from your memory. Um, because, yeah, that can fall apart really fast. Um, but just notice, they had to go to a physical location. We do not. That's why that breaks down. We don't have to go to a physical location to worship the Lord. They did. And when they did, they had to be clean ceremonially. Okay? Everybody good? There, again, Christ was already clean. Important to note there. Notice, again, with this same thought, in, going back to last week. So in uh, verses 9 and 10, we see that the old covenant could not cleanse the conscience of the worshiper, okay? In other words, again, what we've been talking about, it could cleanse the external to walk in to go worship, but it could not cleanse the heart. It could not cleanse the internal realities of who, uh, of who the Old Testament saints were. It couldn't do it. It could not accomplish that. It could only merely wash the external looking ahead to the real internal cleansing that Christ accomplished when he purified us on the cross. Does that make sense? There's a difference there. There's a difference in the two that must be understood. And the only way that that takes place, the only way that we can make this transition from only doing the external to now our heart being changed, as we see in Ezekiel 36 and other places, that Christ's sacrifice was greater. And it was once for all. It is finished, it is done, it is complete. There will be no more. We saw it repeatedly over and over in the Old Testament. It can, they continually had to do it because they, uh, they weren't complete, they weren't perfect. They, they could not purify us, they could not cleanse us, they could not atone for our sins, but Christ did as the greater sacrifice that came for us. That is what we must understand this morning. Uh, before we move on here, um, we need to, we would be amiss to, um, not point out the fact that, the, sorry, let me try this again. Uh, we need to point out the Trinity in this passage, okay? Notice in verse 14, we have the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered to God. I think it's verse 14. Yep. Offered to God without blemish to God the Father. 
Okay, so we have the Son, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the Father, all working together under one will for our salvation. You could put this under the economic trinity, which essentially means the trinity and the way that they relate to us uh, in our salvation and and in the way that it works. But I'm just going to mention that in passing. I don't want us to not notice uh, when we have all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all in the same in the same place, all working together in their specific roles together. One God, three distinct persons. All right, um, last thing here on this point. So notice verse 14. Notice the end of verse 14. So the end of verse 14, purify our conscience from dead works to the living God. Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, what is this getting at here? Well, Christ's atonement on the cross paid for our sins by grace through faith in him. We become uh, sons and daughters of God. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, right? There is no working over and over again trying to earn favor with the Lord. There never can be because you can't get there for one I mean there's a lot of things there right you can't get there so working from dead works we don't do that we work and we do things for the Lord out of faithful obedience to him and out of our love for him not out of a means to work ourselves to death to try to earn his favor and that's what we have to guard ourselves against because working ourselves to death trying to earn his favor will never accomplish that you can't you cannot close the gap from the deadness of your sin and the holiness of our God. It can't be done. And so for us as believers, we have to see this and understand that we are called to serve the living God. We are, our conscience is purified from dead works to serve the living God. So we are saved from that to serve the Lord. And that is what we must do. With our whole lives, we are to give our lives to the Lord because our lives belong to the Lord and we belong to him and to serve, to serve him and to love him and to glorify him in all that we do. And we have to guard ourselves again from working ourselves to death, trying to earn his favor, because we cannot do that. It cannot be accomplished. It cannot work. Read Martin Luther. He tried. The, the, the brother did his best. I mean, he, of all people who wrote, if anything at least, he did his best and it didn't work. And he realized it and God saved him. But anyway, that's... Uh, church history. Either way, it can't be done. Uh, so, so how does this apply? So let's take a, take, take a knee drink water. Um, Christ is the greater high priest. Christ is the greater sacrifice. What does this mean for us? Some of it we've already talked about. I've already kind of mentioned, but we, so the first point here, we can rest in the fact that our redemption is finished. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to wake up and think, crap, we, we got to go get a goat or a bull. We got to find the perfect one. We got to take it in. We got to travel the tabernacle and, and slit its throat and watch the blood drain from its eyes and all these kinds of things. No, it is finished. It is done. It is complete. We can rest in that and we should absolutely rest in that truth that it is done. It was once for all. Christ accomplished it on the cross. And again, this frees us from working ourselves to death, trying to earn his favor, trying to have some sort of uh, earning our way to the Lord or anything like that from dead works. No, we do it out of faithful obedience to the Lord, out of our love for him. Uh, number two, 
because it is finished, again, we no longer have to worry about our standing before the Lord. So Gabe talked some last week with, uh, with when the veil, okay, when the veil was uh, in place, separating the veil within the tabernacle, was separating the most holy place and the holy place. Uh, when that was there, there was a, a clear separation uh, for God's people and the presence of God. So you, you could not bridge that gap. One person, one time a year, went through a whole process to be able to walk in there for a short period of time to do a sacrifice, and that was it. The veil has been torn in two from top to bottom, and now we can rest in the presence of God. The Holy Spirit comes within us when we have faith and believe and repent of our sin, and now we have access to the Lord. We can pray to Him. We can worship Him freely. We don't have to go to one specific place to worship Him freely. Uh, the Holy Spirit ministers to us, all these kinds of things, and we can rest in it that it is finished and that we no longer have to worry where we stand before the Lord. We know where we stand before the Lord uh, as believers. And so uh, last, we've talked about this some already, so I'll briefly mention it. Uh, we are called to serve the Lord. That, that is our the Christian life, being conformed into the image of Christ, uh, killing our sin, glorifying God in all that we do. Uh, our lives belong to the Lord, and we need to embrace that. Uh, all aspects of our life, uh, wh- the way we work, the way we rest, the way that we play, the way that we spend our money, the way that we steward our time, our finances, our gifts, uh, everything belongs to the Lord. And we need to embrace that, love the Lord, and want to serve him and serve his kingdom, serve his people uh, in any way that we can uh, in that way, again, to honor and glorify him in all that we do and do it out of our love uh, for God. Um, so I'll um, leave you with this question to, to, to ponder and think over, but are there areas in your life that you're not serving the Lord in? Are there holes, are there areas and places where you're like, nah, nope, you know, God's not allowed in this, this sphere, this is my sphere, um, it, it's, it's, that's for me, you know, anything like that. Is there an area in your life that uh, you have closed the door uh, to the Lord in? And if so, what is it? Uh, and, and what are you going to do? Because life changes. We all go through different seasons of life at some points. We may have an area that we closed off and we opened it because God opened our eyes to see it. And then later down the road, life changes and then something else happens. So we always need to stop, take a moment, ask ourselves these things and really re- and evaluate our life. It's always a helpful, a helpful tool to do uh, you know, periodically uh, to check ourselves and check our hearts. Uh, so that being said, so Christ is the greater high priest, Christ is the greater sacrifice, and last but certainly, certainly not least, number three, Christ is the mediator of, a, of the new and greater covenant. Christ is the mediator of the new and greater covenant. Look at verse 15. It says, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Now, an important word, again, we have therefore, so it's important to understand therefore. Uh, the second word, extremely important for us to see, is mediator. So this one is important for us to understand because most all, if not all of us, have what we think a mediator means, and if we apply that to this, we're going to get in really hot, deep water really fast, okay? So what we typically think of a mediator, uh, pretty much all, I would say all the all the time, is if you have two parties that are button heads, right, it could be two people, it could be two companies, it could be two of anything, or more than, more than one, excuse me, um, typically a mediator will come in and bring the two together and then try to work out some sort of compromise and try to find some common ground between the two so that we can all walk away 
you know, happy with, uh, with the result and um, be good to go. Um, parents, you probably experienced this, especially if you have more than one kid because kids probably, you know, they go at it all the time, right? And you have to some, move, move in there and figure out what's going on and work out the issue uh, together as, uh, as parents in that case. And so mediator, again, working between two parties, trying to uh, come up with some sort of solution. Now, if we take that understanding of a mediator working uh, in that way and we apply it here, we're going to get in, in really deep trouble because Christ is not coming in between us as sinful human beings, broken and dead in our sin, and God the Father, holy and perfect, and trying to find common ground. There is no common ground. Period. Exclamation point. Probably better. There is no common ground. Uh, there never will be common ground in that way of trying to, let's get together and figure this out. No. Christ had to die, had to raise it, be, rose again, had to rise again. Somebody had to pay the price for the wrath of God that we have incurred ourselves because of our sin. We have incurred that wrath, or we have warranted the wrath that, uh, that is coming. Christ came, did it all for us, and brought us right along and made the way for us to be reconciled back to God as sinful human beings. He cleanses us, again, from the internal, cleanses our hearts, gives us a new heart, and brings us together with the Lord, okay? He did it all. He ushered it all in. There was no, let's get together and figure this out, because that cannot happen. Um, so, important for us to, to understand there. Notice, again, uh, towards the, the end there, notice who this is to. So, so that so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. For those who are called are going to receive the eternal inheritance. Here we can equate and put together eternal inheritance with eternal redemption that we saw earlier. Those go uh, handedly together. Uh, they're hitting at specific points, but they still go together that way. This, again, we see the, the purpose here. All this is happening, the new covenant, so that those who are called by God will receive the eternal inheritance and thus the eternal redemption in Christ and will be saved and will, be, and will persevere to the end to receive that eternal inheritance. For those who are called God's people will persevere to the end, will absolutely make it, will receive the eternal inheritance Absolutely. First Peter 2 9 that should be on the screen behind me says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. For all of us who are in Christ, we have received mercy. We have received mercy in the Lord. Once we were not God's people, but now we are God's people. We have been called into his kingdom to love and serve and glorify him in all that we do. And that is what we should aspire to do in this life and what we will do for eternity in heaven, which we will talk about eschatology and what's coming next more next week when we get there. Um, so as God's people, we can be and we are secured in our uh, redemption in Christ, uh, we will receive the eternal inheritance, and that should bring us comfort and peace where, for where we stand before the Lord as we go out and serve uh, and seek to be faithful and obedient uh, to Him. 
And so, all right, let's, let's keep moving here. So uh, we're going to get to verse, verse 16. Let's keep going. It says, for, for where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not enforced as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, there's a lot going on. Uh, in these verses here, but I want us to focus on verse 22 because it brings it all together uh, and, and gives us the point in, in all of this. And it says, I'm going to read it one more time. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so what we're seeing here in this, in this portion of Scripture, uh, this last portion that we're covering, is we're getting a glimpse at how our eternal redemption uh, came about, how it worked itself out, how it is done, uh, and all these kinds of things. A lot of us uh, you know, may want to ask the question, you know, why did this have to happen? Why, was there, why did blood have to be shed for there to be forgiveness of sins? Why did blood have to be shed for us to you know, be atoned for and to pay for our sins and these kinds of things. To an extent, we know the answer, and we're going to get to it in a second. To another extent, if we keep asking that question until it's logical conclusion, we still like, well, at some point, that's the way God designed it. That's the way our creation order is made. Um, But he did give us, he did give us an answer. It should be on the screen behind me. Leviticus 17, 11 says this, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have taken it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. The life is in the blood. We see this in the Old Testament. You see, well, before we get there, blood is a precious thing. You can take the healthiest human being on planet Earth, whoever that is, you can run all the diagnostic tests for their triglycerides and the cholesterol and all these kinds of things, uh, you can make them do 100 burpees for a time. You can do all these sorts of tests. If, you, if they get an injury and they get cut the wrong way and they bleed out, they will absolutely die. I think we all understand that. Blood is precious. You lose too much of it, that's it. Same thing with an animal. You can take a perfectly healthy, full-grown bull, slit its throat in the right way, and it won't take long. Life's going to drain out of its eyes and it will die. Israel saw that over and over and over again with having to make the sacrifices and kill these animals, seeing the blood splatter out, and now the whole process that went about. You have to have blood. The life is in the blood. So in the Old Testament, when they're doing this, they see over and over again, the wages of sin is death. The severity of our sin is real. They see the death that their sin brings about because these animals had to die over and over again because of their sin. And it was repeated over and over and over again. Blood is precious. The life is in the blood. That is what we see. We also see in that, that in that Old Testament sacrificial system, that there was a substitute on behalf of God's people who are sinners to take their place, which set up for the new covenant that we have in Christ for him to come and for him to be our substitute on the cross and to 
satisfy the wrath of God that we have incurred. Does that make sense? Bringing it all together, the life is in the blood. And so what this passage is getting at here at the end, it was talking about the new covenant, it was talking about the old covenant, it was talking about the blood and everything going on. The blood is so important, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And we must remember that. We must remember the price that was paid on the cross for our sin. The price that was paid for our forgiveness that we have in Christ, that we rejoice about, and that a lot of times we probably uh, don't, you know, we ignore and don't really pay attention to as much. That Christ, the Son of God, had to come and die, had to come and live perfect sinless life, die on the cross, and be resurrected on the third day and go through all of this to pay for our sins and to atone for it. The price was extremely heavy. There is no word to put on how heavy of a price it was. We need to take a moment and realize and reflect on the price that was paid uh, and how high it really is. Uh, That we are able to come here and worship, that we are able to come and to be with the Lord. That one day we will receive that eternal inheritance and experience eternal redemption in the fullest sense. And that is all coming to us one day, which we'll talk more about that next week and what that looks like. Um, so as we conclude, as we land the plane here, um, believers, the believers in the room, I want to address the believers and non-believers separately uh, at this point. So believers, we need to understand that Christ is our great high priest. Christ is the greater high priest. Christ is our greater sacrifice, is the greater sacrifice, is our greater sacrifice, however you want to put it. And third, Christ is the mediator of a new and better covenant, a new and greater covenant. We need to remember that. Again, Paul, or not Paul, the author of Hebrews is summarizing uh, this passage for us, and that is what we see. Uh, that's what we see there, and what we're going to continue to see, and praise be to God for it. Um, the next thing that we talked about earlier, uh, as we conclude, again, we are called to serve the Lord. We are saved from dead works, our conscience is purified to serve the living God, and that is what we must do in all areas and all aspects uh, because we do belong to Him and we do love Him. Uh, for it. So we're called to go out uh, this afternoon, this evening, uh, later today, this week, uh, to live our lives in light of who we are in Christ. That who we are as believers, we are to live our life in light of that reality and to seek to honor and glorify God in all that we do and for all that he's done for us. Um, for the non-believers, I want to encourage you and implore you to repent and, believe your, and repent of your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That by faith, through grace, by grace through faith, excuse me, uh, you can be saved uh, in that. And I would love to talk with you after if you have more questions. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for this time where we are able to come together to worship you uh, both in song and in singing together as a congregation, lifting up your praises and also, Lord, in um, proclaiming your word and to reading and understanding your word and what it says. Uh, Father, help us to understand the price that was paid on the cross for our sin, that the precious blood of your Son was spilled on our our behalf, in our place. Uh, He bore the wrath that we deserve uh, for our sin and for our iniquities that have separated us from you. Um, Father, help us again just um, to go out as well and to serve and to honor you in all that we do in light of all of these truths that, we, uh, that we've come to understand. And help us, Lord, to remember these things and apply it to our lives. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.